WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. According to recent census numbers, the face of North Carolina, the country for that matter, is changing. Here in Mecklenburg County, the Hispanic and Latino community, the fastest growing ethnic community. Meanwhile, black voters really proving to be powerful at the ballot box just in the last year. Take a look at this. 80% of black men supported Joe Biden. But an interesting statistic not enough people talk about. That's down slightly from Hillary Clinton's 82% in 2016 and a big drop from Obama's percent in 2008 um, and 87% in 2012. Coming up a little bit later in the show, we're going to speak to one Republican about how the GOP is trying to make some inroads with voters of color here in the Carolinas. But first, there are currently no black women in the U.S. Senate, 100 people and not a single black woman. Today on Flashpoint, a woman hoping to change that. Former Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court, Sherry Beasley. She's facing State Senator Jeff Jackson and former State Senator Erica Smith in the Democratic primary for that Senate seat. Over on the Republican side, the big names are U.S. Congressman Ted Budd, former North Carolina Governor, former Charlotte Mayor Pat McCrory, and former Congressman Mark Walker. Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate, Sherry Beasley joining us today here on Flashpoint. Uh, Ms. Beasley, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, so first of all, I'll start with the softballs, okay? Uh, why are you running? You know, I have served as a judge for 22 years and fully understand that it is so important who to have someone there who understands the importance of justice. And I have pursued justice uh, when I went to law school, when I uh, became a judge, and I am pursuing justice now as a candidate for the United States Senate. You know, I'm a working mom, and I've been a judge, and I know that there have been so many times when laws made in Washington have failed the people of North Carolina. We really need someone in the United States Senate who represents the people of North Carolina, who understands the impact that these laws have on people's everyday lives. And I'm excited about under, folks understanding that this election is not just about today. It's really about making sure that we have laid a foundation for the success of generations to come, the children who are not even born. And so I want the people here in North Carolina to know that there's an opportunity to have someone who's different, who has a wealth of experience in shaping and creating policy and understanding the impact of law, who has worked so hard to defend and uplift uh, justice and people across the state of North Carolina. And that's why I'm running for the United States Senate. I don't need to tell you that the lack of women of color in the U.S. Senate is stark. Um, your own race aside, how important is it to you that we get a U.S. Senate that reflects more of the American people? You know, I am certainly very aware that there are only 24 women currently serving in the United States Senate and that there are no African-American women. I can tell you from my own experience as a very young lawyer, the first time I ever saw an African-American woman presiding in a courtroom as a judge, I was an adult. And I, it was Justice Patricia Timmons Goodson from Fayetteville, and I can tell you the impact that that had over my life. So I don't uh, sell short the importance of my voice being heard on the United States Senate floor, but I'm really running to serve the people of North Carolina to fight for access to health care. We have grave issues here. We're in the middle of a pandemic and people have great needs. So 
I'm excited about offering myself as a candidate for the United States Senate. Looking at fundraising, it looks like you're out, outpacing just about everybody else in this race right now. That said, I, I want to ask you, because it's, it, it's been noted in the news recently that you've had two top campaign officials uh, recently quit. Typically in a campaign that's going really well in fundraising, you're not having people at the top quit. Why do you think you had two of your top people, finance and campaign manager, uh, step down? You know, I'm very grateful for the strides we've made. I'm so grateful to all the people across the state who have uh, been really excited and enthusiastic about my candidacy. I'm excited about the strides and the hard work that my team has made. We're expanding our team now, really excited about where we are and really excited about continuing to move forward, uh, continue to meet the people across this great state, to listen, to hear about their issues and concerns. Uh, to be responsive in the most appropriate ways. Um, you, you've held statewide office. You're, you are a known entity. Um, however, Jeff Jackson really well known uh, here in the Charlotte area, of course. Uh, why are you, do you think, in your view, a better candidate for the Democratic nomination? Well, you're, you're right. I have served in statewide elected office for over a decade. And, you know, I'm the only candidate in this race who, Democrat or Republican, who has won two statewide elections. You know, 2014 was a very difficult year for Democrats, not just here in North Carolina, but across the nation. And I was able to be successful in my statewide election to the Supreme Court. And then, of course, I ran and was successful in 2008 for the North Carolina Court of Appeals. So this is about experience. I'm the only candidate who has run an entire branch of government with uh, over 7,000 uh, staff and employees and uh, court leaders and administrators um, and led a, 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 a branch of government through uh, uh, creating policies around paid family leave and uh, really moving forward on the school to prison pipeline and family leave policies and court access and through the pandemic. And so this is about understanding and creating policies that shape people's everyday lives and understanding the impact of those laws. And it's also about being successful in an election. 2022 will be a very difficult election cycle, and it's important to have a candidate who's been tested. I've been tested. I'm so grateful to the people of North Carolina who have uh, been excited about my candidacies and my respective uh, elections before now and really excited about continuing to have those constructive conversations with people across the state about uh, the things they care deeply about. Pat McCrory, already taking aim, uh, said on Twitter a few weeks ago that, that you are aligning yourself with extremists within the Democratic Party who are anti-police. Uh, I want to give you a chance to respond to that. You know, I don't even really know what that means. I, I have served as a judge for 22 years. I have had great working relationships uh, with law enforcement and law enforcement communities and uh, and really excited about continued support uh, from law enforcement and, and, and bipartisan support. And so uh, what is really important here is to be thoughtful about uh, making sure that there is accountability and uh, trust and respect between law enforcement and the communities across the state of North Carolina. And the best way to do that is through federal legislation like the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act, but it's also about, about making sure that we're having constructive and open conversations among law enforcement leaders um, and lawmakers. That's hugely important. And it's also really important that we not allow people to uh, be divisive 
North Carolina is facing some real difficult challenges. And the one thing we need to do is to really strive to have leaders who are going to unite us and not divide us. Running for Senate, no doubt, extremely difficult, but also just being in the Senate um, right now is um, can be a, a fine line of walking a, a sort of a, a thin rope. If you were in the Senate right now, how would you come down on things like you've got the voting rights, um, but you've also got the filibuster? Are, are, are you, if you were in the Senate right now, would you be okay with getting rid of something like the filibuster for the bigger picture of, say, uh, voting rights protections or, or some of these other things that, that the president wants to get passed? You know, I am very concerned and, and understand that here we are 56 years after the passage of the Voting Rights Act, and we are still fighting for basic uh, fundamental of rights around the, the right to vote. I'm deeply concerned about that. And I also know it's been almost 200 days the Senate has sat on the For the People Act. Uh, and, and, and the For the People Act is exactly what uh, the people of North Carolina want passed. They want to know that there is voter protection. Um, and they also want to know that there will be a senator there who's going to fight to protect this very basic and fundamental right, the right to vote. And they don't want uh, the Senate to be, play around with that. And so we need to be respectful of that. Uh, I certainly would fight for and vote for the For the People Act. We must be clear that the legislation that 48 states around this country uh, have either passed or proposed, is, that legislation is certainly anti-North Carolinian and it is anti-American. And so I would absolutely fight for that. Um, it's important that if that's the kind of legislation that people across this state and this country are supporting, that the senator ought to do the same. How would you describe this administration's reaction um, and handling of Afghanistan over the last couple of weeks? You know, I, I know that this is a very difficult situation and I am deeply grateful for, and I think we're all indebted to the service members and humanitarian workers uh, and, and diplomats who have served so well uh, in Afghanistan and have uh, and really uh, understood the importance and the magnitude of, of being present. It is so important that we protect Americans who are still there um, and also protect those who are at deep risk. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that, that our country understands we have that responsibility. But what do you think about the, the Biden White House, how they've handled this? You know, this is this is difficult. And, and the first thing we need to do is to make sure that those who are there uh, are safe and removed. That's the first thing. And that has to be everyone's priority. Final question. What what grade would you give uh, President Biden so far uh, now, say, seven or eight months into office? You know, uh, President Biden came in. We were in the heart uh, of a pandemic and uh, we did not have the vaccine. And he has worked so hard to make sure that the vaccine is available to folks and um, and, and really worked hard to quell this pandemic. Uh, he made sure that the American uh, Families Act was passed and it's provided great relief for families who have greatly struggled through this pandemic. Uh, and so I, I would grade uh, President Biden a B. Uh, he's worked hard to serve the people of 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 this country, and, um, and 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 this process continues. He continues to work hard, and and it's so important for us to be thoughtful about what it takes to make sure we're getting the American people back on their feet 
and being supportive of families across the state and across this country. Former Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court, current Senate candidate, Sherry Beasley. Ms. Beasley, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Ben, thank you so much for having me. We should say, along with Sherry Beasley, we've also interviewed Jeff Jackson and Pat McCrory. We plan to interview Congressman Mark Walker coming up in September. We plan on interviewing the other candidates as well here on Flashpoint. More Flashpoint after this. Joining us now, National RNC spokesman Paris Denard. Paris, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be with you. Um, you were this Charlotte this past week, uh, giving the keynote to the North Carolina Black Conservative Voices Leadership Luncheon. Um, give us an idea. What what was your message uh, to that group? Well, it was a pleasure to be with the group. Uh, my message to them was very simple: keep fighting, keep pushing, keep making waves, um, because we can win uh, these elections that are coming up. We can. Uh, counter with the false narrative that the mainstream media puts out there and the Democrats put out there about uh, black Republicans. Uh, we can push back on these false narratives and make sure people know that there are black Republicans out there winning elections in leadership in the Republican Party, especially here in North Carolina, and that our numbers are growing every single election cycle because we're excited motivated and empowered by the Republican Party and are taking the Republican Party to greater heights and deeper depths because we are expanding within the GOP. And that's a very good thing. I was so honored to be there with them. Yeah, we have our first uh, black lieutenant governor right now in the state of North Carolina. Um, give us an idea of how do you think, uh, even if it's just from a perception standpoint, um, how does the GOP diversify itself? Or, or do you think it doesn't need to? Well, it's a very good question. And I think actually the GOP is already uh, diversified uh, in great numbers because of the leadership of President Trump over his four years working with the RNC. Uh, and what we have seen is the expansion of our uh, Black in 2020, our Black Voices for Trump uh, community centers. And now our RNC chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, put forth a $2 million investment to reopen uh, these community centers. And we just opened our first one in Cleveland, Ohio, a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to continue to open more of these uh, Black American, RNC Black American community centers so that we can have a sustained presence in Black communities across the country in these target states so that when it comes down to the midterms, we're not just going to show up three months or six months or a few weeks before the election. We would have been there for months. If, and if you count what we did uh, last year, we've been there for years. And that's a very good thing. And so expansion, growth are all very good things that the GOP is doing, and I'm proud about it. One of the reasons we had you on is, is that I, I firmly believe that, that um, we are a stronger country if our uh, political parties have to cater to a diverse group of people. As in, if the Democrats think they have people of color in the bag, well, that's not a good thing. If Republicans think they have rural white Americans in the bag, that's not a good thing. <laughs> make these parties work for it and make these parties uh, sort of uh, appeal to a broad coalition of people. Um, that said, do, do you feel like your party lives by the idea that representation does matter? that it does matter to have someone like you up here talking about these issues, uh, that it does matter that we don't have a, a single black female in the U.S. Senate right now. I mean, is, is, are those issues that you think Republicans are, are concerned about and want to do something about? 
Look, there's no doubt that the Republican Party has always been the party of uh, opportunity, freedom, emancipation. And when you look at the things that we have fought for over the years, uh, going back to women's suffrage, and, and, and most recently, when you look at the things like criminal justice reform and school choice uh, and opportunity zones, uh, the Republican Party is a party that is serious about action and not just words. And so representation does matter. Look at the fact that we have a woman who is the head of our Republican National Committee in Ronna McDaniel. Look at the fact that you have me as the uh, Black American National Spokesperson. Now look at the fact that in the last election cycle, we had about 15 uh, seats that we flipped from Democrat to Republican. And those 15 seats were won by a Republican that was either a minority, a veteran, or a woman. And so the face of the Republican Party, the people who are representing the Republican Party, you mentioned Mark Robinson, uh, but also in, in Congress, we have Burgess Owens and we have um, Byron Donalds who are, who are in Congress that came uh, this last election cycle. And there's so many more women who are signing up to run. And there's over 30 black Republicans right now that are uh, putting their hat in the ring to run for office all across the country at all levels. And so it's about action. And it's about having an open party that tells everyone, whether you are middle class, whether you are black, white, Hispanic from the big city and urban centers or from Appalachia, that you have a home in this party. We will fight for you. We will listen for you, listen to you and represent you well. What about gay folks? Do they have a place in your party? I think there's no doubt that uh, gay people have a place in our party. When you look at the fact that we had Rich Grinnell, uh, who was uh, the, appointed by President Trump to serve in a cabinet level position as the director of DNI. Uh, who who was openly gay? When you look at the fact that we have the log cabin Republicans uh, that are a vibrant part of our Republican uh, institution and and active and and doing things of that nature in terms of getting out the vote and supporting Republican candidates, Republicans and conservatives believe that we are an open tent party that we want to have as many people as possible join our party because we are fighting for them. We're fighting for their rights. And I think when you look at the things that people are concerned about safety and security, making sure they have jobs in the economy. Those are those are things that are applicable to all walks of life and, and, and all different types of people who are joining our party on a regular basis. And we're proud of it. All right. Paris Denard, national spokesman for the RNC. Paris, hope you enjoyed your time here in Charlotte. And thanks for chatting with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The city of Charlotte eyeing some new incentives to boost employee vaccinations. The plan could cost millions of dollars, but some argue it would all pay off in the long run. WCNC Charlotte's Hunter Sign shows us just how much the Queen City's workforce could get paid. Well, if you do the math, for some city of Charlotte employees, they could get paid $600 for getting a shot that's offered for free. It's the latest list of incentives to get people vaccinated. I just hope that our goal 
is to keep people at work serving the community. The mayor wants the city's workers to do it safely, though. It's why soon city employees will get paid $250 if they've been fully vaccinated or get a vaccination by September 30th. If 75% of the city's workforce is vaccinated by then, all inoculated employees would get an additional $250. That's on top of the $100 the state already pays everyone to get a shot. It's very expensive. But some council members question if it will actually work. If somebody hasn't gotten the shot already, uh, given how easy it, it has been to get it, uh, then I wonder if, if they're going to be persuaded by $250 to get the shot. The mayor thinks it could. This could impact a family especially at that amount of money. The incentive could cost the city around $3 million, which would come from roughly $11 million set aside for city operations from the American Rescue Plan. So far, roughly 1,000 city employees have battled COVID, with 800 of them visiting the hospital, costing the city $2.8 million in health care costs. City staff says the incentive would save the city money in the long run. Also new, the city will start paying hazard pay again. That's a 5% increase to all frontline workers. In Charlotte, Hunter Signs, WCNC Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. Before we leave you folks, come interact with me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it. Usually there's some good parts of uh, politics, food, my dog sometimes as well over there. And if there's something you want us to cover on Flashpoint, let us know. And always remember, subscribe to our podcast as well. Have a great rest of your weekend and have a wonderful week.